This is the Bourbon Bookshelf Podcast, where we cover books, beverages, and the general BS of the day. A few disclaimers, we are not literary experts, or experts in anything for that matter, and explicit content should be expected. I am your host, Barry Price. I hope you enjoy the show. Good evening, fellas. Evening. How are y'all? Evening. Pretty good. How about you? Great. Doing well. John, what are you drinking? I am having a Jack Daniels 150th anniversary edition in honor of my recently um, departed grandmother, uh, Mimi, as she was a big Jack Daniels drinker. Was she really? I didn't know yeah. that. Uh, John pulled that out of the box before we started the episode. I got it as a gift from my mother-in-law uh, several years ago, and I only drink it on special occasions. So tonight, I'm celebrating her life. Good. We all will. Absolutely. Jared, Jello Legs, bro, what are you drinking? <laughs> I'm drinking Knob Creek, uh, Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Nine, eight, uh, yeah, age nine years, 100 proof. 100 proof. I've got a thousand stories, red wine, aged in bourbon barrels. Vintage 2017, batch number 60. Hang on one second. It's my favorite wine. I was going to say, the only reason he bought that bottle... (laughs) <laughs> it's because there's a buffalo on it. And it's aged in bourbon barrels. That was the only reason uh, I bought I... it initially, but I have since drank about a thousand <laughs> of them probably since I bought the first. Thousand uh, stories. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. About the, it's going to be thousand and one after tonight. So, Jared, uh, you said you're drinking yeah. Knob Creek? Yeah, I am. I have a bottle that I quote unquote bottled myself from the distillery. You did? Uh, yeah, I got to wash the bottle, send send it through the machine that filled it, and then when they dipped it in wax, I got to put my thumbprint oh, on it. So oh, I'll never cool. drink it. That yeah, is awesome. This, this is at the Jim Beam Distillery. Yeah. Did did uh did you get like a certificate uh, for it or everything like that? I don't think there is a certificate. Hey man, the thumbprint's good enough. Yeah, got his yeah, thumbprint yeah. on it. Don't get any more authentic than that. That's kick ass. I want to do that. I don't think I've even drank it or even had Knob Creek ever. <laughs> no, I, I did. I, when I got back, because I couldn't drink the bottle, I did get some when I went out. <laughs> I still have uh, my bottle from when we went to the Jack Daniels distillery years ago. That's got, it's got my name etched on it and the date. It's a bottle of Gentleman Jack. Uh, I drank all the Gentleman Jack. And then after I'm like, oh shit, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> we started drinking it in the hotel that, yeah. <laughs> that night and uh but now it's full full of uh just regular jack daniels but no one will ever know <laughs> find some charcoal and pour it through oh, no. and that'll make it yeah. Gentleman. <laughs> yeah yeah double mellow it which is the only difference everybody i think yeah it's they're mellowed before it goes in the barrel and after it comes out of the barrel. 
one of my uh, new uncles by marriage is a big Gentleman Jack fan, and so we have a shot every time we get together. We have to, I have to designate before all our family gatherings. I'm like, okay, is this a family gathering or is this a party? Because <laughs> need to I, know. <laughs> what if it's a gathering at first that then turns into a party? I've been to they're, a few of those. They're almost all that way. Okay. Gentleman Jack first, and then he switched to. Yeah, Jaeger. Evan Williams. No, Jaeger. <laughs> Tequila. Tequila. I got to meet our, our not meet, see a, a hero of this show this weekend or this past Thanksgiving holiday. My uncle, John, <laughs> <laughs> who made me and Barry stop putting pops in our fine, yeah. fine maker's mark. How's he doing? Putting crown. He's doing good. He's, I think he just turned 60. Really? Yeah, I tried to go toe to toe with him with drinking while I was there, and I woke up with a hangover. Yeah, I I, I feel like I couldn't even go toe to toe with him drinking. I remember he always his drinks were always just right. Like he never let him get too. You know, he'd take like one sip and then he'd go rebalance everything. <laughs> put, put more, put more whiskey and more water in there. Uh, all right uh that's a good discussion to start the day we were a little uh, worried yeah <laughs> a couple of things to follow up on from the last episode john requested that you guys go listen to the cabin sessions episode uh does not appear that anybody did that i think it's because he failed to mention what episode number it was uh the cabin episode is titled appropriately the cabin sessions it's episode 11. Check it out. few episodes we've recorded all together in person. We'll know if you don't listen to it. Yeah. I can see this kind of stuff. Uh, something else I wanted to follow up on is in the last episode, I stated that I was not a bluegrass fan. <laughs> and I uh, get my Spotify. You, you, were quick, you were quick at it, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> get my uh spotify songs of the year stuff and two of my top five songs are bluegrass songs uh and then my top artist just recently released a bluegrass album titled cutting grass sturgill so barry are you a bluegrass fan i you should say it you should say it so you know something else i realized <laughs> over since our last recording is that uh, i don't have you are you guys familiar with the Pickin' On series? Yeah. Like Pickin' On Sarah Evans, I remember that one. Yeah. So I kind of like that stuff and that's all bluegrass. What do they do? They just go to the music and they don't sing, they just go to the music and play it in bluegrass, right? Yeah, pretty much. They do all kinds of Metallica, Dave Matthews. Uh, what else have I heard? Pink Floyd all kinds of stuff. And uh, speaking of Metallica, the other thing I wanted to follow up on was uh, I said that whole album garage Inc was all cover songs. I don't think that's true, but uh, there is three or four on there. Uh, probably the best one being turn the page, which is a Bob Seger song. And I uh, also learned today that Metallica 
is has sold the third most amount of records in all history of music. Wow. wow. The only two in front of them being Garth Brooks and the Beatles. Is so, Garth Brooks bigger than the Beatles? I don't recall the order, but maybe. I'd say Garth Brooks is a little more universal than the Beatles. I'd say so too. I know Tom Segura loves him. Loves Garth Brooks. Yeah. Actually, his music or just making fun of him because they making look fun like, of him. Yeah. <laughs> He's ridiculous. <laughs> it's Instagrams or G time or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was Garth Brooks's uh, alter ego thing that he did? Oh shit! <laughs> that stupid movie. He made a album for a movie he was going to do and he made the album as the character yeah <laughs> and then the movie never came out was he all emo yeah he was emo yeah God, what was his name i don't even look that it's on spotify where's young jamie when you need him i actually don't think garth brooks is on spotify or nice. apple all right it's coming up chris gaines chris that's gaines. right that's funny man the uh, and then last thing, just while we're talking about music, uh, Reckless Kelly, uh, the lead singer Willie Braun, and his extremely talented brothers uh, and dad uh, have been doing a thing on YouTube called Music from the Mountains, and it's just them sitting outside playing guitar, and they live in maybe the most beautiful place I've ever seen. So it's worth watching just to hear the campfire crackling. Uh, and being able to see the mountains and uh they're Thanks. funny they're funny people too. yeah stanley are idaho. they in idaho yeah okay <clears throat> um they're funny to watch too and fantastic musicians so uh john let's hear about your book all right i had a special hat for the occasion with my <laughs> enron logo on it so my book was the smartest guys in the room this was a book i picked up several years ago and tried to read and made it maybe halfway through and then put it down because i didn't get it um fast forward a couple years i'm now mostly through my mba and now i can understand it um but essentially, it is the story of the company Enron, which was a oil and gas company for the most part in Houston, Texas, back in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. Dirty South. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, uh, they uh, went and eventually went bankrupt, and they were one of the most celebrated companies in America <laughs> because of all the money they were making and all the ground they were breaking. But, um, so, but it turns out that all of it was essentially a fraud and everything they were doing, they were um, over-reporting revenue. Uh, they were using a special type of accounting that claims revenue before it's actually been received, what, way before it's gonna be received. And like before that. it's even been billed. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it, as soon as the deal signed off, they say they have made all the money from that deal. So <laughs> they, they were using that 
to prop up their stock price, which is the only thing that mattered. The whole company, they had tickers all through the, the company with the stock price just nonstop. The only thing that mattered to anyone there was the stock price and they would do anything to get it. So that all of this was essentially attributed to a few players, but it was really a culture within the company that eventually led to its downfall. Uh, there were a couple things that I would love to highlight. Um, in, I believe, I guess it was in the 90s, California deregulated their energy market, but not on the retail side, just on the wholesale. So the customers still paid like a fixed rate, but they opened up the market to everybody to compete on price for electricity. Well, Enron decided that I was going to mess with it <laughs> and they they put in a bid for some electricity to supply some electricity from a route and then uh, from a route that couldn't actually handle the amount they bid for California accepted it and then a red flag was raised because the route that it was going to be routed to California was not uh it wasn't enough capacity to send all this electricity. So all of a sudden now there's no supply there to get the electricity to California. So the price skyrockets and then they sell more electricity for more money. <laughs> Double down on it. <laughs> yeah. And then they got caught and one of the investigators said, uh, they got caught and they said they wanted to expose a flaw in the system. They were actually doing <laughs> the state of California a favor. <laughs> the appropriate point out y'all screw up. <laughs> I don't know any other way to do it. But they, the investigator said the appropriate response would have been to bring the matter to the attention of the appropriate policymakers rather than disrupt the market for its own education. All the energy companies were fucking with California, though. Uh, the Jeff Skilling, who was one of the key players in all of this, said, you know what the difference between the state of California and the Titanic is? At least the lights were on when, on in the Titanic when it went oh. down. <laughs> some other things, is the Enron was just getting into things that were well way out of their purview. Like they were getting into video on demand and broad, broadband. So they wanted to bring video on demand into people's houses. It's just a little early for that. Uh, so they were one of the, that's why they were considered a groundbreaking company. Um, but eventually it all came crashing down and it was attributed to all the smartest guys in the room because they were, uh, everyone, they lived and died on recruiting the best of the best to come work for them. So everyone was, smarter than everybody else and everybody did their own thing and then <laughs> lied to everybody. So, yep. Man, they had to have had that entire organization of employees completely brainwashed too. Oh yeah. They just, everyone thought they were the shit that nothing ever could go wrong. Was, we met, they met their earnings goals every single quarter. Yeah. On paper. But as far as the book goes and I, um, I don't know if I would recommend this to your average reader. Uh, like I said, I almost have an MBA and I can understand it. It's still a tough read. I really had to focus to understand a lot of stuff, had to look up a bunch of things. Um, 
it's probably got to be something you're interested in topic yeah. you're interested in. yeah i think I, i'm definitely interested in it. i like seeing how not to do things i like reading books about disasters and so if you have a business degree or a good business acumen i think it's a good book it's a good warning of things to look out for um but other than that it's a tough read but um it's pretty long too it's about 700 pages damn i didn't yeah. know that i'm proud of myself for getting through it but you turned it around pretty quick too yeah i decided to try to read it on vacation and you guys know my my struggles so i started it with the intent on before i left on vacation with the intent intent to finish it before i got back and he did yep so five days yeah Good. um some Good other job. housekeeping things uh this book was actually <laughs> i believe this book was originally released in 2013 i'm looking at the i'm sorry 2003 i'm looking at the 2013 version but that's a 10-year anniversary um it's by bethany mclean and peter elkin who i believe are both reporters or war reporters they also have several other books that kind of look interesting along the similar lines of about enron or just uh, general no the fraudulent disasters the financial crisis uh some fracking stuff some saudi arabia nonsense um the rise and fall of elliot uh spitzer a new york governor i'm not exactly sure what he did but it's 14.99 or twenty dollars um paperback on amazon so it's a little pricey yeah well it's a 700 page book yeah i do have some one-star reviews though lost my whole retirement <laughs> <laughs> well the first one is our always our favorite is that the first 36 pages were great till i realized it jumped from page 36 to 101 <laughs> and writers pushing their into ideological barrel mm. um it did get a little bit into the politics of things because it's in Texas and they were lobbying the GOP for yeah, saying more regulation would have prevented it or something. Um, they are, they were actually very pro deregulation. That was their whole aim with almost everything. That was the backbone of everything they did. The authors were or Enron was. Oh, Enron. Yeah. Um, is that what you were getting at? Was the authors? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will say, I think the book was pretty fair on that uh, standpoint. Uh, it does highlight some relationships like W. Bush, it's a relationship with Ken Lay, the CEO. Oh. Um, he, Bush called him Kenny Boy, but they didn't really have a good relationship. Bush didn't like him. Yeah, saying it in an insulting way. Yeah. <laughs> um, however, the I watched the movie and they kind of took it in a way different direction of pushing it all on uh, um, that way the uh, documentary is pretty good actually when when did all this take place in the late 90s uh early 2000s is when everything came crashing down 
Uh, I believe it all started at well, W nine, was in the White House. Right, right after 9-11 is when everything started coming crashing down. And eventually they believe they went bankrupt in 2002. I'm not a stickler for details of remembering them. Yeah, me either. I I hate when I read books like that that are so laden with dates and names that you don't even know what the hell's going on. Yeah. One of my big complaints is when I'm reading a book and I don't know when something is happening. I'm like, they like mentioned that it's April 2002 or something like that. And I'm like, or 20 pages ago, I'm like, are we still in April? Right. <laughs> yeah. So still the same, <laughs> still the same board meeting. You know? Yeah. Go ahead, Jerry. Man, I, you know, growing up in Houston, uh, Enron, I always saw Enron advertisements, Enron filled. Dude, oh, yeah. it, it, it was like, it was insane. Yeah. It, and it was insane to see on the news, everyone freaking out about the whole Enron thing. I was like, man, what the hell is going on? Little <laughs> kid, I don't know what the hell is going on there. Like, functioning off everything, everything in the office. And I was like, what is going on right now? There, uh, there still is, uh, <laughs> their oil and gas company is still in operations enron oil and gas EOG. yeah they spun that off really? yeah, yeah. They, they spun it off when it was doing well because they did they were a, a, essentially a trading company hmm. so i think they're I publicly traded i'm not sure eog resources they're big time out here in west texas yeah that was the only thing about the business that worked yeah that's probably just just doing sufficient enough to keep everybody's, you know, eyes off of everything. I forgot about Enron Field. That's funny. Yeah. Um, it became Astro Field. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like the made. Washington football teams. Like we, <laughs> we're ashamed and we don't know what to name it. <laughs> they took that sign down real fast. Yeah. Enron came down real fast. <laughs> Mid-season. That's fine. You don't pay. <laughs> right. Yeah. You still got to pay for your naming rights. Uh, there's a book. Um, what's the guy's name? I'm actually looking at the book right now. Uh, he's a short seller hedge fund manager. Um, he says a good way to find a company to short is look at stadium names. Um, a little quick teaser for next week in our collapse of businesses series that i'm doing um the our protagonist next week father worked at enron when they collapsed but he Ooh. wasn't like high up but it's just funny funny crossroads yeah some people are just doomed yeah <laughs> good the smartest guys in the room check it out or watch the documentary if you don't want to read 700 pages of accounting terms yeah it's a lot of accounting. what do you think their office looked like when they knew shit was hitting the fan do you think they were burning papers oh they were shredding the, the shredding just insane destroy everything destroy everything not just enron the accounting firm was too what's funny about this well, not really funny but there used to be the big five accounting firms. And after this, there was only a big four because their accounting firm also went down with them because no one could trust them anymore. And my ethics textbook that I just, in the class I just had, had a case study from Arthur Anderson. Like, this is what we should be using. <laughs> <laughs> this is training material they used. 
Yeah. I actually feel like I remember some stuff like that from my NBA days. I was in Vegas last year and they were having a big four accounting firm convention. I actually got this. Just hat an interesting from fact. The big four accountant.com. It's an Instagram <laughs> page. Some shit. I like the hat. I've been wearing it. Yeah. <laughs> I love hats like that. They're just like, what the f- <laughs> like my Amish country hat. No one's said anything to me, but I know I'm sure someone's seen it and been like, what the hell is going on here? Right. Do you wear your, have you been wearing your ref hat? Is that what you're just talking about? I took my headphones off. I was wearing my Enron hat, uh, but I haven't been wearing the ref hat. Jello legs. Let's hear about into the raging sea. (laughs) Yeah. This, uh, into the raging sea is by Rachel Slate. It's about, uh, the wreck of El Faro during Hurricane Joaquin. And uh, it's actually, I think it was one of my favorite books this year so far. Very, really? very good read. Very fast paced. And it is immense. Um, so basically, uh, El Faro was a uh, old ship, old container ship converted to a container ship. Uh, what did I just say? <laughs> a container ship converted to a container no no ship. okay no it, it was converted from a roll-on roll-off ship which means it basically transported uh cars and trucks and all that and it was converted to a container ship so it was never a natural born container ship which caused problems down the line so this this ship took off from jacksonville florida bound for puerto rico right in the middle of Hurricane Joaquin, where it basically met eye to eye with the hurricane. So pretty interesting how she goes about it. Um, basically goes from day to day uh, and there they have actual black box recording. So everything, all the conversations you see in the boat or in the book are actual conversations that were had in the wheelhouse of the ship. Um, that's cool yeah it, it's really it's really interesting and you know they she kind of dives into some of the how the shipping industry came to be in the u.s um i sent y'all a a quote out of the book of how gnarly it used to be because they were all steamships back then and uh in a single year in 1832, 14% of American steam vessels, most on the Mississippi, were blown to bits by their shoddy uh, built boilers. With a record like that, I'm not getting on a ship. But at the next page, I read sometimes agents Shanghai uh, sailors by force, clobbering them on the head, forging signatures, and dragging them unconscious onto a ship while the captain conveniently looked the other way wake up on the boats you didn't have an option back then man you were getting on the boat hey somebody's got to carry the boats <laughs> yeah you gotta carry the boat we're gonna carry the boat but uh man it got it like i can't even explain how intense it gets but basically the captain is using a a piece of software on the ship that is contradicting what the national weather service no National Hurricane Center is is sending reports in, and it comes out that the 
the software they were using was actually nine to 10 hours behind. So they were looking at old data. Every time they got a new report, they were looking at old data. And even the National Hurricane Center wasn't, the, even their estimates weren't, weren't really uh, accurate either. But it all comes down to the, in it, like why were they so close? Why did they have to get so close? And it basically came down to the captain and the lack of organization within the company. Basically, no one had, no one really knew the way they were structured in the corporate office and the, the company's called Tote. They, they didn't know who to respond, who was responsible for the shipping operations, basically who, who could approve routes. And it's kind of messed up. By the end of the book, uh, Tote basically said it's all the captain's decisions. Once the, once the ship's at sea, it's, it's all the captain's choice, which if, you, if you're reading through the book, he makes it seem, the captain makes it seem that it was, he was seeking permission to find another route because each trip, I mean, is costing thousands and thousands of dollars. So if you're, if you're late, like if you're late to Puerto Rico, you know, they're, they're not, they, they get all their goods by cargo ship. So well, they didn't get their goods at all, but, <laughs> but it, man, it, it was, it was just really, it was, it was really well written, man. And, uh, Something that I always a good one. It seems like when things like this happen, there's always just a long line of people fucking up mm-hmm. <laughs> that ultimately yeah. call yes. <laughs> Yeah. And nobody being accountable for anything. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, and it's like why why did they even embark during the hurricane? Yeah. <laughs> Well, they, they didn't really know. So when they left Jacksonville, they, they knew there was, a, there was a storm brewing. But Hurricane Joaquin did a bunch of crazy stuff that was never – that is rarely – has rarely been seen by other hurricanes. So that's what threw them off too. But, um, but man, they – I mean, they could have done so many other things. And, and there, there was a – it's like the second mate, uh, she was concerned. She basically voiced her concerns to the captain, but when you're a captain of a ship, it doesn't really, it, it's what he says goes, you know, and he's trying to get the cargo there on time. And uh, it, his past was questionable too. So <laughs> as well as the ship, the ship was older, old as hell. Um, it was actually at the time on the voyage was being converted to to make runs in alaska it was gonna that was basically gonna live out its life in alaska so there were there were crew there was crew on the ship at the time that probably didn't have to be on there because they were making their modifications on in route oh while it was moving when did this happen this happened in on October 1st, October 1st, uh, 2015, I believe. Hmm. That was just the other day. Very, very recent. Yeah, 2015. And the last major shipping accident happened to be on Lake Superior with a ship called the Edmund Fitzgerald, which uh, 
if you ever go to Michigan, go to Whitefish Point, and you can go to the Shipwreck Museum there and learn all about that. I actually got the, a book about it up on the shelf. But uh, that, was a lot, that was the last major U.S. Uh, shipping incident. So when this happened, they were like, what the fuck is going on out there? Right. <laughs> like unheard of in modern yeah. times. Like it shouldn't happen. It shouldn't happen. And there's like there was other mistakes. So like they kept increasing the capacity of weight that the ship could hold. So every time you increase the capacity, its its water line gets lower and lower and lower. But the ship wasn't originally designed for that. So basically, that that also contributed. And that's how my kayak is. My fat ass gets in there <laughs> lower and lower and lower in the right. water. Every time it's like, well, I guess we're increasing. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Who did you say the author was again? Rachel Slade. I, I think this is her only book. She's a reporter for the New York Times, I believe. I tell you, these uh, lady authors are, do really good jobs on uh, yeah. on history, historical not books, mm-hmm. talking about you, Candace Millard, Dude. who messaged me on Instagram a while back. Well, that's cool. You got any one-star reviews, Jerry? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Woo, it's whiskey. It's hard. All right, here we go. Biased and poorly researched account of the sinking of El Faro. Everything's got to be biased nowadays. I don't think it is poorly researched when, anyway, you can just look at the book. Uh, Left-wing storytelling. So we got some politics in here. Always is. Great story with a lot of smug political bias. Authored, author ruined epic sea story with politics. I mean, there might be some politics at like the her closing thoughts, but I mean, it, it doesn't ruin the, the book. Don't just don't read the last chapter. See, like if we weren't on the looming with a Trump presidency next year, uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> avoided. But yeah, good stuff. Good stuff, man. Speaking of sea stories. Sturgill Simpson's got a whole album dedicated to him. <laughs> Seeing the world. Yeah. Wait. Seeing the whole damn world from the inside of a bar. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, that sounds good. I'm going to go ahead and say something now that I was going to wait mm-hmm. until later in the show to say. Uh, something I've learned now. This is our 18th episode. The only downside I have found to my reading life with the podcast is basically once a book gets covered by somebody else on the show, you've lost your opportunity to read that book. <laughs> so, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but there's a lot more positives there. You can do it again. You can read it. Yeah. Do another review. Fuck it. Maybe next year. Do annual reviews. I mentioned earlier that I really like reading about disasters and this book kind of reminded me of into the abyss by Carol Shaben. And it's about a plane crash, a bush plane crash up in Canada 
mm-hmm. or she investigates it, tells the story, and then also does a whole what went wrong um, play by play. So if you're interested in that, you can check that out too. Yeah, good. Tell them I have to get on that. That plane said it's breakfast time. <laughs> There's something about her hurricanes. I love reading about hurricanes, man. Natural disasters. Yeah. Yeah, that was you right, was right up uh, my alley. You were reading a book a while back about the Galveston hurricane, if I remember right. Back in the day, that yeah. was pre pre podcast days. Yeah, Isaac Storm by uh, Eric Larson. Yeah, there you go. Check that one out too. Never read a single thing about hurricanes. All I know about hurricanes is that it ain't that the wind is blowing. It's, it's what the what wind is blowing. Wind is blowing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Ron White. Yeah. <laughs> we're on a – we've got about as many – we're on a pretty good Ron White streak. So almost up there at the Giardia Street. Oh, oh! oh there it is. <laughs> Knock it in. Knock it in. Jared, you got anything else? Oh, man. I recommend it. Yeah, sounds good. I uh, I like books like that. Uh, I like them where there's actual. We talked about it before on here, where there's actual data or actual like, you know, you actually know what the conversation was about, not how we think this is what happened or how it went down. So the only reason they got that is because they they went on one hell of a search just to get the black box out of the wheelhouse that got ripped off of the ship as it was plummeting through the ocean. Dude, it was saying, they said it's estimated that the ship was, was sinking at 45 miles an hour. Holy cow. Until it hit, until it hit the seafloor. So dude, the man, how much money did they spend? Yeah. Dude. I mean, people, I mean, you're, you're in that you're gone, but uh, I think, just over $3 million just to recover the black box. Anyway, yeah, they just, and they happened upon it. No, really? They're like, oh, how convenient. <laughs> I have no recollection of hearing about this happening. Yeah. I think, I, I don't, you might have to be on the coast to to hear about it I'll, i was talking with my stepdad about it he's a he's a tugboat captain but it was a big deal uh he was a boat captain or he is a tugboat captain oh, tugboat. i don't guess i've met your stepdad he's got some sea stories what was the um boat's name el faro and the hurricane was phoenix L or Joaquin. Joaquin. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> getting my phoenixes confused. River, rest in peace. But no, I don't. I don't remember hearing about it either. I mean, that was probably because I was in Lubbock, half yeah. lit, up on them high plains, living that high plains life. Don't even know there is an ocean. What ocean? Was I in Lubbock? No, hell no. Come on, man. I was in I was in Oregon. I wanted to use that. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of the high plains, I tried this new cheddar cheese that my friend recommended to me. It's called High Plains Cheddar. It's pretty fucking good. Sounds it's made good. in New York though. 
Huh. Wait. Yeah. They can't call it high plains. <laughs> I guess that's how they make cheddar cheese on the high plains. Maybe they're getting the milk from Dalhart to do it. <laughs> it's pretty sweet. Hmm. I like a stinky cheese. Speaking of stinky, I chopped up an onion yesterday. <laughs> that shit. I've showered three times since I cut that onion. I can still smell it on my hands. An onion. White onion. Raw. It's the only way to go. All right. I have Montana 1948 by Larry Watson. Uh, this was a book I was just caught my eye browsing around Barnes and Noble. Uh, it looked like a, what we call a Sunday read, which means it can be read in one sitting. Uh, and the back flap sounded pretty good. Based on what I read, uh, this book is uh, written from uh, the perspective of a, it's a man reflecting on his childhood in a town, in a small town in Montana in 1948. Uh, the kid was in a, a prominent family. His granddad was a wealthy rancher and former sheriff of the town. His dad was the new sheriff. Uh, and then his uncle was the, uh, kind of the town doctor, uh, and was also a war hero and the favorite son of the dad, which are just kind of some things that play into the overall story. Uh, at some point along the way, uh, the uncle gets accused of some stuff, uh, that doctors shouldn't be doing. Uh, and then with the boy's dad being the sheriff, he's the one uh, responsible of, of doing the investigation and prosecuting his own brother. And then so basically just kind of tells the story of as from this 12 year old boy's point of view of the his dad trying to make sure he's doing the right thing towards his brother, but also doing the right thing uh, towards prosecuting the crime. It's a pretty good book. Uh, you know, if you're looking for a quick read, it's definitely something that's worth picking up. Uh, there's nothing exceptional about it, though, but it did keep my interest the whole way through uh, just to kind of see how it would all shake out. And it definitely poses some good, you know, kind of ethical dilemmas of what would you do type things. It's about 180 pages. I've read it in three sittings, probably. 1155 paperback, 850 Kindle has a 4.4 out of 5 star rating, 487 ratings. The uh, one star reviews are pretty good. Uh, one of them simply said no. It was the title of the review and the review itself. <coughs> and uh, the other one said, if you want to be a pessimistic soul, read this book. So... And the author, it looks like he's got several other books. Uh, looks like the two most popular are called As Good As Gone and Let Him Go. I probably am not going to make any effort to read these. But uh, hey, Larry, Larry Watson. is They just have a movie that's, I think, called Let Him Go. Is that after that book? It's got uh, my boy Kevin Costner in it. Yes. Cool. I might read Those I'm short stories, too? The other, the other two? Uh, I don't know. I didn't dig in enough. Okay. But it's a pretty good book. What was he the just, doctor doing? Uh, he was... Uh, so the town is on the edge of an Indian reservation. 
and he oh, did not behave well towards the Indian women. Mm. Gotcha. So, of course, there's some racial divide. You know, it's 2020. <laughs> you can't write a book without. <laughs> I think that book came out in 2017. So, it's pretty good. I mean, I read it. I, you know, I wasn't something like, oh, I need to just hammer through this. So, would you recommend it? Uh, yeah, if you're just looking for something to read, just to add another, add a book to the stack for the year, it's kind of why I read it. Well, none of us can read it now. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Sorry, missed your chance. You can read it, but have fun talking about it. Doctors <laughs> don't get to read the smartest guys in the room. <laughs> oh, man. Bomber. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I don't even think I had that one on my list. I bought a, I got real into the financial crisis. I remember. Um, and so I bought a bunch of books and read probably two or three of them. And some other ones like Nabisco and Enron, and they've been all been shitting on my shelves for a while. Shitting on your shelves? Shitting on the no shelf. <laughs> shitting in the street. It's <laughs> <laughs> another Ron White reference, fair yeah. but <laughs> talking in the theater. <laughs> uh, Jared, yo, what's up with your heart rate? Surely Man. it doesn't have anything to do with you running a hundred and. 90 miles while traveling across the country the last two weeks yeah i I don't know man i almost think i'm almost wondering if it's if it's uh something to do with vegan diet no not at all (laughs) i don't know why you even think that no freaking no i don't know if it's like the temperature just the amount of running i've been doing recently because it's been pretty chilly out here and that i feel like this happened last winter too so i'm kind of just a change in climate. Is it yeah, elevated? More, more restricted, more restricted uh, blood vessels. Well, elevated? Yeah, is your heart rate elevated? Yeah, dude, it's, it's been at like like today. I think I was averaging like 160. Oh, feet. shit. And I think I think I could – dude, that's that's a big difference when, it, when I'm used to seeing like, you know, 149, 148. Mine's probably 160 right now. Is it that carnivore diet? Dude, I, I eat a well-rounded diet. Mexican fast. food. <laughs> yeah. What about um, fast food and yeah. prime rib? <laughs> <laughs> Sweet potato every now and then. Speaking of fast food, I got to have Whataburger this past week. I'm oh, very thankful for that. Jared, did you get any? I did not. No, I should have. Stay true. But I didn't. There was no, there was no being true. This, this, it was, listen, there was, it was like eating at a buffet every day. I had three Thanksgiving dinners, man. Or, no, just three. I had one seven times. We were quarantined, so <laughs> I enjoyed every bite of it. John, what'd you get at Whataburger? Green chili double? No, my go-to is the honey barbecue chicken strip burger. On oh man, toast. yeah, oh man, and a taquito. We went for breakfast on Thanksgiving Day. Oh yeah, me and John for several years had a tradition to go to Whataburger. Uh, well, I mean, we went all the time, so it's hard to really call it. A tradition. <laughs> but 
was it Christmas Day we went for like I think it was actually Thanksgiving and Christmas Day for several years in a row we went. It was to New Year. We always we always brought in the New Year and dropping the ball. I could have sworn we went on Christmas Day. They're not open on Christmas. It's the only day they're not open. Oh, maybe it was Thanksgiving. Yeah. I feel like we'd go to. A... I feel like we went to the movies, but it, it was yeah. always th- it was always New Year's that we. I do remember dropping the ball there. And I'll never forget being there for your birthday and that lady singing happy <laughs> birthday to you like Marilyn Monroe. Was it beautiful? It was a weird night. Yeah, that was a weird <laughs> night. We'd been up. That was one of my last nights at Amarillo, too. Been up to a bunch of no good that night. Which, if you're at Whataburger after dark, you've been up to <laughs> inside, <laughs> especially. It's always busy at 2 a.m. Yeah. The bars close. Yeah, head right on over. Dude, speaking of Texas uh, establishments, John, do you know what we're getting in Florence, South Carolina? Chewies? A Bucky's. Oh, yeah, I heard about that. Dude! Yeah. Nice. Oh, yeah, they've been working down uh, They've been working down 20, haven't they, or 10? Yeah, there's one on um in Birmingham or there's coming and – Florence is at right at the end of I twenty. God bless it. Trying to get that Myrtle Beach crowd. <laughs> yeah. Song I like that I uh, haven't heard in a while since we seem to have an underlying music theme to this episode is a uh, train to Birmingham. That's a good song. Particularly like Cross Canadian Ragweeds version of it from the album called Happiness and all that other bullshit. Their last album. Rest, Rest in, in peace. peace. Of all the things I've had and lost, <laughs> cross Canadian ragweed, I miss the most. Something else, Jared. I'll, I hope your heart rate. Thanks, man. Comes back to your superhuman levels. I appreciate. Let me go look what my average heart rate was. Let's see what it is right now. I ran four miles yesterday. Thank you. You guys didn't have to celebrate like that. <laughs> with stride but your miles are getting big man yeah they're going up they're getting yeah. faster too simultaneously how are you feeling how pretty are you good. feeling pretty good and i'm sleeping like a fucking rock too which is nice because i don't always used to sleep great don't always anymore but i have been lately well my average heart rate was only 173 so that's only Let's three beats down. off my we'll max <laughs> Dude, speaking of sleep, man, that <laughs> from the hospital <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for 45 minutes. It's gonna pay man. off though. I'm telling you, once I drop about 40 pounds, I'm gonna be looking like Captain America over here. How are you how are you doing on, on that journey? The He's got abs underneath all that fat. It's I'm there, doing baby. so good. It's there, I, baby. Hit, I hit my record high lifetime weight on Monday morning. That's how good I'm doing. While training for a marathon. Yeah. Hey, Mickey Mantle gene. I'm I'm impressed. Here's what's gonna happen is I'm gonna get to I'm gonna get to where my long runs are peaking out about twelve fifteen, and I'm just gonna drop all that weight and it's gonna I'm just gonna be breezing right through it like nothing. That's the way I envision it at least. Fucking A. He's gonna show up. Oh, I registered for that race, by the way. Yes, you did. It's going down. The half marathon. I'm yelling timber. Everyone, 
It's going down. Savannah, Ron, how's Georgia. your heart rate been on your runs? I keep it between 140 and 150. Oh, hey, right. where, where's your data at? Where's that's that Strava data? Oh, shit. Did I not link that? Where's that Where's that Strava at? If it's not on it's Strava. It's actually not anywhere because I haven't been running. Damn. <laughs> you ran last week. Yeah, I ran on Wednesday. That was last week? Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm I'm now a believer that you can, as long as you do your long run every week, you're good. Got to get that long run. I mean, you'll get there. It may not be fun, but you're going to get plantar fasciitis along the way. <laughs> Which, curious thing about that, is the only way to get rid of it that I know of is to go run more. So And drink whiskey. Yep, drink whiskey and – an ounce yeah. of prevention yeah. worth a pound of cure we're gonna switch to a true crime podcast for a minute uh i have been following a story and like we mentioned earlier i'm not a stickler for details so don't ask me on timelines for any of this but a while back a young man in the town of canadian texas uh which is about two hours northeast of where me and John grew up in Amarillo, a uh, senior in high school went missing. And it took them two years to find his body. Uh, that just happened recently, like within the last uh, six months, I would say, that they found his body. Uh, of course, it was where they'd been already have looked and uh, there's all kinds of weird stuff around it. Like the sheriff basically refuses to investigate it. Uh, the sheriff's on record, like calling him a faggot and saying he didn't fit in in this town and uh, all kind like was dating the sheriff's daughter. There's all sorts of weird things. Don't check. Don't check me on that part. Uh, what I'm getting at is it kind of looks like the fucking sheriff did it. <laughs> Ooh. But uh, anyways, if you get, can get Texas Monthly Magazine and get around all their politics that they got on the cover, they have done, the uh, last two months have done a good article on it. It's really, uh, nobody seems to have any explanation for what happened to him. Some people say he might have gotten sideways with some meth dealers or something like that. Uh, Canadians' population couldn't be much more than... 5,000 people, I wouldn't think. Uh, so somebody up there, quite possibly a lot of people up there know what happened to him. But it's kind of like it was weird. There's no sign or trace or anything of him till the case started getting popular. Uh, and then all of a sudden they found his backpack out there on a popular road. And then a couple weeks later found his body. So... Like I said, I'm not a stickler for details, but that's a good uh, overview of the story. And true crime podcasts are really popular, and we're trying to get some listens. So, crossover. <laughs> yeah. John, you had something you wanted to touch on in that realm. Yeah. Um, I've been listening to a new podcast called Red Collar. It's brought to you by the same people from another. Another two podcasts I've recommended called Park Predators and Counterclock. And um, it's about white collar crime that ends in murder. And I really enjoyed the first two episodes. So if you want to go check it out, 
listen to ours first. Yeah. And the cabin <laughs> episode. Yeah. Episode I mean, eleven. There's, cabin there's sessions. a lot of people that just just they're out right there. They just cut the episode right there. Like, oh, that sounds good. <laughs> Enough of this shit. <laughs> In fact, I might cut out right now. No, no just kidding. What were you trying to show us, Jared? I was, I was just showing y'all the uh, if if that's that small town crime, small town murder podcast. Is it on that one? Did no, I think they're making. Well, it might be. I don't know. Actually, I think there has it has been covered on podcasts, but I don't know. I see. I couldn't tell you which ones. I think Texas Monthly is making a podcast. Oh, uh, specifically about this, though. Eventually, man, I hope it doesn't take a right turn like Boomtown. Yeah. <laughs> which which podcast? Boomtown. What about uh, what was it called? Uh, S Town. Oh yeah, S Town got S Town got sideways too. Uh, oh, credit that was still good as hell. Credit Holy to those shit. folks though, because the uh, serial podcast uh, is what turned me into a podcast listener. You know, I, I found a lot of like. It seems like a lot of podcast stories that they go and investigate don't amount to much. No, at the end of the day. Well, we'll let you know if there's any other developments. Bye. What I have realized is the people who do it are really good at telling stories Mm -hmm. and piecing stuff together. But at the end of the day, they don't know anything that the detectives don't know. You know, if if they had it solved, it'd be solved. Yeah. I don't think they're going through the effort to do that. They're just trying to sell a story. Yeah. And they do good at it too. Yeah. We watched one the other day. The guy did a podcast and then damn uh sixty minutes ended up covering it or uh forty eight hours. One of them shows that comes on twenty twenty. It's one of those. They were covering a podcast? No, they were covering a <clears throat> a murder that the podcast that kind of got brought to light, I think, by the podcast. But they had the guy who hosted the podcast was like the big contributor, probably Probably did the murder. Yeah, probably. Hmm. Where was he? That'd be a story. Man murders. So just start a podcast. I'm going to go write the short story right now when we get off the phone. You're welcome. I'll give you 1% proceeds. Put me in the the acknowledgments. Is this this your Bob Lee? Bob Lee Fagger. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) That's the one. I've been waiting for the right storyline for him. I think this might be it. (laughs) That thing's been kicking around in my brain for three years. Well, Rogan is now exclusively on Spotify. So if you're a fan, you need to remember that. Also, go get your copy of The Meat Eater Guide to Wilderness Skills and Survival by Stephen Ranella. He asked me to uh, spread the word because he's trying to get on the New York Times bestseller list. So you're welcome, Steve. Dude, one thing I liked about uh, Joe Rogan going over to Spotify at first, there weren't any ads. And now he sneaks in a few ads. Where? 
in the, the middle very, at the very beginning oh shit because at the the very beginning of his podcast on spotify <clears throat> they there weren't any ads i was like oh man i really like this spotify's gotta make money they're not just paying joe <laughs> yeah. not but i think it's i think it's joe rogan i, th- I think it's it's his advertisements how does yeah, that I even su- work how does that I even suspect, work i suspect he's still getting his money yeah from that what well, i i imagine yeah. the deal is he advertises but they he doesn't get any of that money yeah. and they just pay him his rate his hundred million dollars a year yeah pay me a hundred million dollars a year i don't give a shit i'd do it i'd work for a year <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i'm the end spotify i'd do three episodes <laughs> i wonder if he has a minimum probably minimum number yeah he's probably got some extreme cancellation penalties too I suspect, like, though, he enjoys doing his podcast. So. Oh, fucking hey. He can tell he does. Yeah. He probably doesn't have to do, He probably has to do less shit now, too. Probably. Mm-hmm. Like he did much anyways. Yeah. yeah. Jamie. Yeah. I want to know how much Jamie is compensated. I thought we looked that up. thought it was like 300 or some shit. Wow. That's a lot of cheese. Yeah, we did look that up. It ain't bad. Then he gets to hang out with all those people, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd do it. I do. It's funny though. You should go on YouTube and find like the videos of where Jamie screws something up and Rogan like gets pissed at him. That's funny because he Rogan's like real quiet about it, but I'll throw him a look and you can tell just like, you know, young Jamie's about to get his ass beat after this episode. (laughs) (laughs) All right then. Well, you guys ain't got anything else. We will wrap it up. We covered uh, Giardia. We got a Ron White joke in there. Um, Jared, how's the knob creep? It's good. Tastes good. good. You know, I kind of got it out of uh, – I kind of bought it just because I was a little overwhelmed. And it, and it looked familiar. Yeah. I was like, I'm just going to go with that. It does have a familiar look. Should have went with Bullet. Can never go wrong with Bullet. You can if you drink a whole bottle before you go to a Christmas party. Yeah, well, mm, yeah, nine times happen. out of that's not brand specific. That problem, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, you hadn't drank much though since that happened. You've been no, I have not. That kind of <laughs> straightened uh, me out. Yeah, <laughs> got me on the straight and narrow. Well, how's the JD one fifty? That stuff's like oh. four hundred dollars a bottle, isn't it? Uh, it was only one like a hundred. 50 or some shit oh, it was, so. it's so good though <laughs> it's smooth it's almost sweet yeah just enough burn to let you I know can, you're drinking good whiskey i can tell you're enjoying yourself i don't know if i've ever had a 150 dollar bottle of drink i have drank uh, some of the nicer johnny walkers like the black label which is maybe 90 dollars a bottle but it's a scotch, if I am remembering yeah. right. And I'm not a not a fan of scotch. <laughs> Speaking of scotch, when I was, I think I was in middle school, I was hanging out with a family member, and I had drank a Coke, and she was drinking scotch. And I had an empty Coke can, and I put it down for her to pour some scotch in for me. <laughs> she, <laughs> she didn't she know did. it was empty. Yeah. <laughs> and she poured it in, and I... 
I drank it. She goes, and then she picked it up. She's like, did you just take a shot? (laughs) (laughs) I've never much cared for it. I think I I could see myself growing to like it, but I I don't know. It's got a weird, it's too, there's something about it I don't like. I, uh, Tyler Vance, frequent guest of the podcast, gave me a drink of Lagavulin one time. And I just thought I was going to love it because Ron Swanson drinks it. And uh, God, was it terrible. That shit lingered with me for like four days. It's like drinking gin. We know about that. Yeah. Ooh. Laid back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I seen a dog out here. <laughs> Like, you want to check out our sound system since we got you? <laughs> 4 a.m. in the morning. Hell, it was 4 in the morning. <laughs> of course, you weren't there. Thank you for listening to the Bourbon Bookshelf Podcast. Our aim with this show is to encourage people to read widely, enjoy good beverages in moderation, get outside, and have good conversations. We hope we can meet this goal while serving as good company for you, the listener. If you enjoy the show, please let us know by subscribing to and reviewing the podcast and following us on Instagram. If you really enjoy the podcast, please consider making a small monthly donation to help us continually improve the show. You can find the link to do this in the show notes for this episode or on our Instagram page at bourbon underscore bookshelf. Thank you and we'll see you next time.